This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is October 20th, 2022. Please tell us your name and the years you were with Hofstra Radio. My name is Paula Kersey, and I started at Hofstra 20 years ago, and I'm still there today as a community volunteer. And what's the name of the program that you work on? I work on Calliope's Corner, which is a program that shares information to poets and spoken word artists. I call it Calliope's Corner, the place where poets and songwriters meet. Oh, I like it. Very cool. Um, So ordinarily, I'm asking former students about their experience at Hofstra Radio and the positions that they held or or the shows that they worked on. Um, But you're a community volunteer, so you're coming to this a little bit differently. Can you tell me about any other titles or positions or jobs you've held outside of Hofstra Radio? Well, I came to Hofstra from WBAU at Adelphi University. Mm-hmm. And while at WBAU, I had a show called What's the Buzz, which is an informational broadcasting show that aired issues for young adults. And BAU closed down very abruptly. And when that happened, I had nowhere to go. I was um, clearly a um, college radio buff, narrow casting gal. So I didn't do anything. Um, To share a little bit more about how I got over to Hofstra was one of my ex-students, who is a Hofstra alum, I was a school counselor for many, many years. So she called me up and said, Miss Kersey, you belong over here at Hofstra. We need some community volunteers. Come on over here. So Danielle DeLillo Mm -hmm. was my mentor, which was an amazing flip of fate because for six years from seventh grade to 12th, I was her mentor and now I was over at Hofstra as a community volunteer, and she was guiding me through the ropes. Now, so isn't that was, interesting? That's fun. It was, it was really cool. So, so you could uh, you could probably talk about how Danielle was very shy in high school and very reserved and 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 quiet, and then became so vivacious <laughs> and a wonderful, wonderful in in ingratiating person she just envelops anyone she sees you know she's so welcoming and loving so yeah she just she just put me right underneath her arm and took me right in and introduced me to Bruce Avery and um, just got me started with Calliope's Corner I did start though doing Newsline in the morning the Hofstra morning wake-up call I did that I um, read news feeds off the AP line. Back then, the AP line was coming in on um, the the paper that came in was through the computer, came mm-hmm. through the computer. So it was so antiquated. And of course, then Hasha um, just became so state of the art and everything just moved so quickly. We went from using DATS to everything being digital. Not that DATS weren't digital, but I mean, who knows what a DAT is anymore? You know, (laughs) (laughs) 
There was although a time I, that was cutting edge. There was a time. There was, was a time. Although I can remember bulking uh, cassette tapes back in WRH, uh, WBAU back in the early 90s and late 80s bulking cassette tapes, you know, so <laughs> mm-hmm. which means putting them on a medical, a metal um, box and just rubbing them back and forth. That's how you erase them. It is a lost art. And I do remember it uh, quite fondly and, and, and bulking uh, pancakes of, of, uh, of reel to reel tape as well. So mm-hmm. if you didn't do it properly, you got all kinds of uh, terrible effects. So you had to be good at it, but that is, um, that is definitely not the technology of the day. But um, so when Danielle contacted you and you first came to Hofstra and you met, uh, mentioned meeting Bruce Avery, um, could you describe what the station was like when you got there and, and perhaps what you expected it to be? Well, I certainly loved what I found and I did not expect what I found. I, mm-hmm. I found an incredibly strong community and a very well-run machine. And I found a leader in Bruce Avery who wanted very much for everyone to understand some of the basics of corporate communication, how to treat people, some of the basics, of course, in how to run a station. And I fell right into that very easily because I had been working as a school counselor. So I love people, love mm. students. So it was perfect for me. It was a perfect fit. Mm, that's very nice. Um, you mentioned working at WBAU and I, I've never been to their facilities, uh, I guess, I guess when they existed, um, could you compare the, the state of technology and what the studios were like from, from Adelphi to what you found at Hofstra? Well, definitely what I found at Hofstra was definitely much more uh, well thought out. The rooms were clearly designed for the purpose, whereas WBAU, it was kind of a room and cut in several parts. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it was cool. Anybody that was at BAU, of course, has wonderful and fond memories of working together and the camaraderie of working with everyone. Um, But the facility itself the logistics of the facilities and the uh, equipment and the technology at Hofstra is just, you know, light years ahead. Hmm. Um, I was at the station in the 1990s and we were in the basement of Memorial Hall. And and so that's always uh, my image of Hofstra radio. And, and even, even though I was there when we moved into the, what I still call the new building, um, and some of the technology there, it's a sense of, well, we're going to, we're going to carve out a station and a community out of whatever they'll give us. And mm-hmm. clearly what you walked into at WRHU at the time um, was something that had been, as you said, thought out and planned in a different way. So um, when you got there, there was, there must've been some sort of training or guidance about the equipment and the facilities and how to, uh, go about being on the air. Do you remember anything about that? Oh, yes, certainly. Um, I attended the training as did all the students. So I was, even though I was a community volunteer, I was in the training with all the other students, uh, which was great because we were all there together doing the same thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I had a little difficulty in the beginning because um, my uh, parents were in the hospital. So yeah. I had to take a little bit of a break in the beginning. And I thought, I'm, I lost this opportunity. It's gone. But once again, Danielle and Bruce reached out to me and said, hey, you know, we understand things happen to people. Come on back. So this is a family, you know, these people are like a family. And um, anyway, so I came back and uh, started the class again. I have a funny story for you. I was uh, in the training class and you have to go through, um, everyone has to go through how to use every piece of equipment. So um, Andy Gladding, who is also a past student, but now an employee at WRHU, Mm -hmm. was uh, teaching the training class. And we were in the um, studio and he opens up the turntable and he said, so listen, anyone here that maybe was born, I don't know, before 1975, maybe, you know, if you're born after 1975, you may not exactly know how to use this. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny because, you know, even like we were talking about the dats, right? Right. Not everyone is familiar with all the other forms of radio um, technology and and how sound or where sound was coming from, you know, coming from an LP. And the day of the DJ, you know, actually scratching two LPs together, even at that point when I started, the day of that DJ was, was gone, you know. They're not doing that much of that anymore. It's kind of a lost art. So, and finding the, finding the, the spot in between two songs and trying to get it just right so that when you you know turn up the pod you're you're right where you're supposed to be you know <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so kind of it was kind of cool uh i was laughing at that because i i was one of those people i knew what it was and i had had used it and of course i used lps at one point in my career so um, so so when andy brought that up did you raise your hand and said i'll, I'll keep up a record I, I, yes, exactly. I can do it. <laughs> um, but you know, we haven't, I haven't had to in a long time, so I wouldn't want anyone to ask me to do that right now. <laughs> I, I'm confident it would come right back to you. If you, if you had to get a record on the air, I'm sure you could do it. The, um, one of the, one of the great things about the, the radio station under Bruce Avery and now under John Mullen is that, the training class has always been described as very competitive and there's an interview process and, and all these classes to go through in a, in a very rigorous test. But I also find from people's stories is that like, not unlike yours, that there are people who run into a problem or a scheduling conflict, or it's just not the right time for them, but the door is still open for when you're ready to come back. I was wondering if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit more about that and working with Bruce and Danielle and Andy about when you were actually ready to come in. Yeah. um, I do remember, you know, coming back in and saying, okay, now where's my place? How do I start Hmm. again? And, um, you know, I think a lot of people may feel that way 
in other parts of their life, not just in reference to, you know, WRHU. They may say, you know, how do I um, fit myself back in to whatever it is that, that I've been away from for a little while. And uh, I remember really just saying to myself, um, okay, Paula, today's the day, you know, go into the station and walk into the office and say, I'm here. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I did. Um, so there was, there's definitely um, some sense of backbone a person needs to do that. Um, but when I, when I did that and I said, I'm ready, I'm back. Um, I, I remember Bruce going out of his way to say, okay, you know, when do you want to schedule a recording? When do you want to schedule an interview? Uh, when do you want to get in here and do something live? You know, he, he walked me through it to make sure as he would any student, you know, any, any one that was working in the studio, anyone that was working in the station. And, um, then I was lucky enough to meet another really, really great uh, professor at Hofstra, Dr. Linda Longmire, who is a professor in the political science um, department. And she's also a world studies, uh, general studies professor and was doing so much uh, with um, uh, travel abroad. So she came on the scene and we became really close and uh, we worked a lot together. She had uh, a show on the air before my show. So I helped, um, you know, track for her and I helped. Then I started helping recording and, and getting her show going. And then she would hang out and we would do our show together, which was Clyde Peace Corner. And before you know it, she was uh, co-hosting, we were co-hosting together and, and it just all worked out great. And we did that for many years. Oh, that's fantastic. That's, that's really nice the way that worked out. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the development of your program, because it sounds like it's a little bit different than what you were doing at WBAU. Did you have an idea of what you wanted your community sh show to be, or was that something that you worked on once you were at the station? Well, it certainly got developed with Linda, uh, but mm -hmm. I knew when I came back to radio at uh, the station that I wanted to work with and on the poetry community population, which is definitely a narrow casted population, but um, mm -hmm. I'm very involved with that community now on Long Island. I'm the Nassau County Poet Laureate for Nassau County, and um, I've been hosting open mics throughout the county for quite some time. And at the time I had just finished doing a several acoustic poet network, we call them underground open poetry parties. And <laughs> mm -hmm. so I had a community that would listen. So there are so many artists out there that are lyricists and poets and they don't get the cred the songwriter will, not to say the lyricist won't, but um, unless you're uh, with a band, say, or, you, you know, at the time, you know, getting on the radio was a lot different than it is now. Also, you know, when I first started, you could bring a cassette tape, you could bring 
you know, then eventually a CD up to the station with a little press kit and say, you know, I'd like you to play my stuff. And maybe it would get played. And there'd be, a, you know, a music producer that would maybe listen to a whole bunch of CDs throughout time. And they would listen to it and say, you know, this is, this is good. This isn't on air. This is okay. This one has a curse word in it. No, it can't air that one. You know, you'd go through the whole stack and you would know whether or not you could play something. But for poets and for lyric writers, they didn't have that. Hmm. So, um, there was no avenue for them to get their their artistic creation heard. So my feeling was that um, I wanted to be one of those people that allowed this mainstream idea of poetry to be mainstream, for spoken word to be mainstream, for um, lyric writers to get their lyrics out there to be heard even without the music. So that's how it all started with Calliope's Corner. Um, I still use What's the Buzz, though. <laughs> I uh, I created a um, What's the Buzz PSA, public service announcement, and I, I use that and edit that into my recordings. Oh, nice. A little bit of continuity from, from the previous gig. Um, I'm curious, as, as you were developing this idea, were you working with, with Bruce or the program director or a producer to flesh out the, the way that you wanted to, to sound and the way you wanted to produce it? Or was that working mostly with Linda? Well, I was working definitely a lot with Linda and Linda's background in um, academic poetry and my background in what I would call maybe more urban poets uh, was a great combination. So we were able to balance those things out. And then along the way, we had certain students that popped in and out and helped us out, of course, that gave us their flavor. Um, and some other community volunteers like Fran Spencer. She's an excellent mm -hmm. example, um, uh, previously a English teacher. So she also came in and gave her um, her feelings about how it should or could bring in other poets. Um, through that time, we've had so many different types of formats. We've uh, done something called poems from people like you. And we've asked the audience to uh, submit a poem. And then we've had students at WRHU help and read the poems on the show. So we've had different um, eclectic variations of what we did do, which is cool. That sounds very cool. That's very cool. A lot of different input influencing and uh, flavoring the way that the program goes. But I want to jump back a little bit because you mentioned earlier doing some stuff with Newsline and perhaps the, the morning program. Were you doing live radio reports before you got the, the Calliope's Corner on the air or, or how did that work out? I think I was doing everything kind of simultaneously. Um, uh -huh. We um, love doing the morning show because you, know, you got up in the morning and you got your cup of coffee and I don't know, I, I, I really enjoyed doing the morning show because it was such a uh, camaraderie of people and real teamwork. 
um, you know, as to how it was going to um, flesh out. Of course, the news is what made it happen, right? So whatever, <laughs> the news is what right. created the momentum, but the people are always fun to work with in the morning. Um, as time went on, though, I, I did some specials through Newsline. Um, in 2016, I did a debate day special, a great, great group of students down in the pit, you know, right there on top of the debate and in the studio all day long were different e events of um, opinions, basically throughout the day, talk shows. And one that I worked on was the uh, debate day special on education, which hmm. won a press club of Long Island award. Um, you mentioned working on the morning show. Who were some of the people that were working on that with you uh, when you were getting up early in the morning and, and figuring out what was going to happen that oh, day? Oh, gee. Well, I'm going to have to go back to uh, Fran Spencer, of course. Um, uh, Gary Duff was amazing. Um, um, I'm thinking of some names. Shortest was great. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm losing my memory right now because you're asking me. <laughs> Um, but a lot of great, a lot of great students. Hmm. Well, if they, if they come back, we can, we can revisit that. Um, you, you had experience being on the air before, but you're, you're starting at a new station and new facilities and the training program and all the stuff that it took you to get there. What, whether it was getting on the air and doing news or, or doing your own program, do you remember having a feeling of nerves or excitement? What was your mindset at the time? Um, I don't recall really ever really being nervous. Um, even when I perform my poetry, I usually get nervous after, which is an odd mm. thing, not before, um, which is strange. I don't know why, but no, I didn't get nervous. <laughs> I'm not even nervous talking to you. <laughs> I bet when I'm done, though, I'm going to ruminate. What did I say? How did I say it? <laughs> I, I I think that's it. If 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 I could if I could flex my armchair psychiatrist muscles for a second, I would say, yeah, you're wondering, did I say this the way that I wanted to, or how did that come off? Um, that's interesting. But but you already felt comfortable broadcasting, and so I, I imagine it was a relatively easy restart once you were cleared to be on the air. Yes, I would I would say that it was a comfortable restart, and of course, you know, the people made it comfortable. I've got those names now. I remember. I remember John Santucci, and mm -hmm. he's become so um, involved in presidential interviewing and um, commentary now. Uh, Jason Goldstein, great guy, very nice to me at the time. Um, Kim Saltmarch, um, Dennis Foley, I did some morning shows with him. Uh, Elena Florescu, um, and, if, and a few others. I, I, I have a few other thoughts. Oh, Alicia Battinelli, who went on to work mm -hmm. at um, the um, marketing department over at Hofstra, and now subsequently has moved on from that. But those are some of the great names of students that I work with that are now no longer students. They are professionals in their own right. 
Yeah, those are some great names that 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 I have uh, had. I've had a chance to interview some of them, and a few of them are on the hook that we 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 haven't gotten them yet, but we're we're working on it. Those are great names. Those are great people to work with. So that leads me to my next question, and I think you've answered it. But I often ask, you know, who are the people that helped you feel comfortable there socially? And obviously, Danielle and Andy were were links. Uh, as you're getting started there, but who else was around that that made you feel welcome and part of the WRHU community? Um, all of the Engels, the entire mm-hmm. Engel family. Um, I can't say enough about them. Um, Gary Duff, who still to this day checks in on me, makes sure I'm okay, makes sure I'm feeling well. Uh, became a good friend as time went on. Um, And of course, we have to talk about Bruce Avery and we have to talk about, um, I'm losing names right now. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) John, you know, John was terrific to me. John Mullen. And always has been. Would, would you mind doubling back and talking a little bit more about Ed Ingalls? I would not mind that at all. Um, what a kind man Ed was, and also so educated in, of course, his field. But, but there was a thing about him, about how he went about teaching the students. Hmm. The, when, the way he taught the students always came connected to self-esteem, self-awareness, self-concern, you know, making sure that they knew they had those inner self tools. So it it wasn't just about, Hey, you're going to go get a job, get a job, you know, get, get your career. It was get a life, (laughs) have a vocation you know, show, show the world, you know, who you are as a person, show yourself who you are as a person, just, um, just a great guy. And always so empowering at any staff meeting, every staff meeting, they gave him a standing ovation. And I'm not lying about that. Every staff meeting, the students would get up and give him a standing ovation. So that's the kind of guy he was. And I, I've asked this of a number of people who were students there that when they first met Ed or even through a couple of years of being there, they wouldn't necessarily know his broadcasting career history. They wouldn't know that he's Ed Engels. They just knew he was the professional in residence and, and a very nice guy and very encouraging. Right. So even without, you know, flashing his resume around, and from what I understand, he wasn't someone who did that, um, they still had tremendous respect for him. And, and uh, I, I think that's, like you said, a testament to the character of the man and what he brought as a human being, as an educator, as opposed to just mm-hmm. as a broadcaster. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember... Um, Angela Trustee is her name now. And forgive me, Angela, I'm sorry. I don't remember your maiden name. But I think she lost her keys or left her keys in the car one day accidentally. And I I can't tell you how uh, Ed, I mean, everyone too, but they were so 
helpful to her. You, know, you got to imagine not, not being able to have access to your car and losing your keys and saying, mm-hmm. what do I do now? You know, <laughs> really scary. It was scary. Um, just didn't just act as um, an employer per se, you know, acted as a friend. Right. That's a really important thing for so many uh, students and, and just everybody in the community to have someone looking out for you uh, in that way. And I, I think you've described uh, Ed rather beautifully there. Um, I'm sure he'd appreciate that. Um, what else can you say about working with, with Bruce in those early days when you were getting settled at the station? A lot of patience on that man, let me say. A lot of patience. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked with a few other uh, people, too, that um, that Bruce, you know, had me meet and hang out with and try to uh, create programming with. I worked with this man called Irvin Simner. I don't know if you remember him, sure. Irv Simner. I, I remember Irv well. Uh, you know, country music guy, right? Uh, also. Out behind the barn. Out behind the barn. Also passed away. Um, yeah. But Irv, the reason why Bruce wanted me to work with Irv is because Irv was uh, a obviously, you know, knew everything about country music, but he knew about talking blues. Now, talking blues, mm-hmm. as far as a spoken word person goes and uh, a, a poet goes, Talking blues was the is the closest thing to poetry in the country music world because it's not sung. It's a story told with music. So um, that's the kind of guy Bruce was is, I mean I should say, Bruce was always trying to connect me and, and he does that with all students, not just me, you know, connect people. Right always trying to connect people so that if you had something that you were interested in, you know, you could learn from that, learn from that other angle, but it's related to what you're doing, you know? So, um, that is, uh, the legacy that Bruce will leave at WRHU for sure. Learning how to network and connect with people and find, you know, something common amongst you with someone else, you know? Yeah. I like the way that you put that because it is, you know, for, for so long, it's been block format programming or some people call it magazine format that you've got these different programs and they have their different times and their settings and their days, but there are links between them. They may be different genres of music or, or, or news versus music or sports, but there are commonalities and there are things that appeal uh, across genres when people get a chance to, to try that out. And it's very, it's very uh, nice to hear that, that Bruce was so encouraging of that because that's, that's what I remember from my era as well is that we would try different things and, and, and learn all kinds of things that you never expected to before. So thank you for sharing that story. That's great. Another similar story too, is uh, Eileen Cronin with the Irish mm-hmm. show and, um, same thing with Eileen. She's a storyteller. She tells her Irish stories, but that's spoken word. That's memoir. You know, that's telling, you know, a, a bit about oneself in a narrative format. So perfect again for me to interview her. But also now what are we doing? We are um, 
we are advertising her show while I'm interviewing her to a different audience who may now, you know, not leave my show per se, but add hers to their listening pleasure, right? <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, it sounds like you've got so many wonderful stories and relationships uh, in your time at WRHU, but I'd like to go back. And this, this is a question I, I normally, again, pose to people who started as students and then grew up with the station. But, but you came in with some experience. Um, but I'm asking if you could go back without the benefit of hindsight. When you spoke to Danielle or when you got to the training class or, or sometime at the beginning of your experience at Hofstra radio, what did you hope it would be? And what did it turn out for you? My answer right away is fun. I hoped it would be fun. Mm -hmm. That's the first word that came to my head. No question about it. I hoped it would be fun and it did become fun. It is fun. It's for me, it has created um, what I call a, professional hobby. <laughs> nice. That's nice. I like that. <laughs> it's a, it's a joy. It's a joy to be able to have, and it's a gift to be able to have an opportunity to, um, connect to human, have the human connection. It's a human connection, whether it's one-on-one -on -one interpersonal or it's on the radio. So I always looked at it that way. This is going to be fun. And it, and it turned out to be so. That's fantastic. Um, I, I love that. It's this, this has been a lot of fun and this interview is, has, has been a gift and I'm so glad that you uh, took the time to share your stories. I am working on another batch of questions and I'm hopeful that you have more stories and, and more things to share. And uh, I'd love to talk again sometime. Awesome. Thank you, Brian, so much.